If you would, remain standing and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Even though our focus will be verse 6 and following this morning, I plan to read the whole chapter, all 16 verses. Before I do so, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon us. Let's pray. How blessed God, we are so thankful for Christ. We're thankful for his redemption, the shedding of his blood, the washing of our, away our sins. We're thankful for the spirit who comes and applies that redemption, that atonement to us. We're thankful for the light the spirit gives us, the words of your word the spirit reveals to us. We're thankful, Father, for your eternal love, your election. Lord, that before the foundation of the world, you had chosen Lord, those who would be yours. We're thankful, O oh Lord, that you have given us this written word to help us understand and to truly cherish, Lord, what we have in Christ. So, Father, take this word this morning and destroy human wisdom. Foster in us a a greater understanding and delight for that spiritual wisdom, for the gospel, for Christ, for your eternal kingdom. Lord, use these words from the apostle, Lord, to destroy the worldly speculation that we may be clinging on to and magnify yourself, O oh Lord, and continue to lead us in the paths of righteousness. We pray all of this in Christ's most holy and powerful name. Amen. Well, beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Beloved, please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, what a blessing 1 Corinthians has been. There are so many practical things already we have found in the book and we've already seen in chapter two, verses one through five, the testimony of the apostle Paul that he gives of what a faithful minister is to be about. Paul's testimony is an example to every other minister who reads this text and understands the scriptures and, well, who believes in Christ and wants to be a minister. This is an example to every minister, an example to myself. And you need to know and understand these things because you need to know what a minister should do and what they should be and how they should labor in the gospel. But now Paul moves from verse 6 and following and Paul begins to give us some arguments. Paul begins to present us with the efficacy or the power, if you will, of the Christian ministry being God's wisdom. God's wisdom. In this whole section and really into chapter four, Paul's going to begin to juxtapose the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. Paul is going to juxtapose the mature or the perfect versus the carnal, the unbeliever, the believer and the unbeliever. Paul is going to even set before us the tragedy of human wisdom. He sees right there in verse 8, talks about the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. Paul begins to help us see the, the calamity that human wisdom has brought into the world even in the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. And of course, while he is doing this, you and I should be wrestling with whether or not we have that remnants of human wisdom. We're always battling it. We're surrounded by it. We come in contact with it daily, don't we? It's all around us. But so is the wisdom of God. In fact, it's not just around us, it's in us. Because the Spirit of God dwells the people of God. And so as we look at these next few verses, beloved, let us begin to see how rich the wisdom God 
really is and how impoverished human wisdom is and therefore creating in us a greater desire to study the Word of God, a greater desire to devour the Word of God, to be strengthened by it, so that we might fully and rightly be able to live, as Paul says there in verse 6, as mature or perfect people. Well, let's begin looking at what Paul is talking about beginning at verse 6. Notice what Paul says when he says, yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now Paul in verse 6 begins, he changes his thought. Yet, it's marked by the word yet. Yet we do speak wisdom. Now what is Paul talking about here? You know, when you read Corinthians over and over and over and you listen to it, you begin, I think, seeing how Paul begins playing a little bit with these philosophers. Paul's not intimidated by them. Paul is not shrinking back in the corner of the church and thinking, oh, I have nothing to offer. Oh, these intellectual giants are scaring me. No, Paul's not doing that. In fact, fact, Paul actually begins to say, hey, we have wisdom and we preach wisdom. Now, Paul, again, like I said, Paul's going to begin to present these arguments. and, and, And what you have to think about, Paul says, no, we do speak wisdom. Why? Because they were accused, Paul mainly was accused of being very crude, sort of rudimental, very elementary, not sophisticated. Remember, several sermons ago, we talked about the sophists. We talked about the sophist philosophers. And the sophist philosophers prized sophistication. They prized complex arguments. They prized a a complex, deep, rich, if you will, or in their estimation, this rich, complex argument and presentation. And they viewed Paul out of accord with that. And so they viewed Paul as being very crude. And I think Paul is playing a little bit with them. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about the mature, or your translation may say perfect. Now, of course, this wisdom Is God's wisdom. We see there in verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom. And Paul goes on and says, he says, we're not speaking the wisdom of this world. We're not only only speaking the wisdom of this age, but we're not even going after the influencers, what he calls these rulers of this age. No, Paul says we're not using their techniques. We're not using their complex arguments, the things they pride themselves over, the things that have built up their arrogance. We don't use their philosophy, and we certainly don't use their techniques. Why? Because he says in verse 6, notice, who are passing away. That's the first argument. Paul says, listen, world, the world's wisdom, that spirit of the age is passing away. Just like the rulers, just like those philosophers who, who drink from that wisdom, they too are passing away. And when they pass away, guess what? Their complex arguments pass away with them. 
How many of you have ever even heard of sophism before the sermon series? Exactly. (laughs) That's the point. How many of you get up in the morning and open up the book of sophism and just begin to devour and eat the bread of this philosophy from the sophists? You don't do that. In fact, you probably don't even know anyone who does. In fact, you probably didn't do it when you were not a Christian. And it's not to say you didn't drink from some cup of wisdom of the world. You certainly did. We all do. We're not neutral. But Paul is toying, I believe, a little bit with them. I think Paul is beginning to demonstrate you're not the only ones who can present argumentation here. And I think it's important that the church come to that realization. We are not weak in the sense of having no knowledge. We're weak in the things of the world, aren't we? Yet we are strong in the things of God. We're strong in the things of Christ. We're strong in the truth of the word of God. That's what the Christian ministry ought to be about. It's not to adopt the world to win the world. And we mentioned a little bit of that last week. No, Paul is certainly, certainly opposed to using the world's techniques to preach the gospel. And Paul says, I've come to you, says we speak wisdom among those who are mature. But who are the mature? Well, first of all, what is this wisdom? First of all, notice we speak it. It's declared. It's revealed. Revealed by whom? The apostle. Yet we, the, the, what I believe what Paul is doing here is Paul saying, those ministers, those apostles, those that have been ordained to take the word of God, the gospel, and to go declare it to the nations so that God's elect might be drawn from every tribe, tongue, and nation and put their faith in Christ and repent of their sins and be incorporated into the spiritual body of Christ and even the corporate body of Christ. And Paul is speaking of the apostles here, I do believe. I don't think it makes sense if Paul talks about all of us Christians. Paul's talking about his ministry. Paul's talking about his office. Paul is speaking in regard to what he's been called to do as a minister of the gospel. You can go back and read Acts 9, and Paul was called by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus to do what? To go declare light in the darkness. We could even say it this way, too. We could look at the more immediate context in Acts 18 where God tells Paul, Paul, don't be afraid. Yes, there's hostility towards Christ. There's hostility toward the gospel. But don't be afraid. I'm with you, and I have many here in Corinth continue to preach. And if you read that chapter, you'll see that many in Corinth did believe. And I think that goes to what Paul is saying about the mature, about those who are perfect. Who are they? So we see we're talking about the apostles. We're talking about the ministers, how they declare this wisdom. What is this wisdom? This wisdom is the gospel. This wisdom is the word of God. And, and, and this is, why is this important? It's important. We're not just talking about practical living here. We're talking about how men are made right with God. 
how men, how sinners are reconciled to God. How are, the, how are those who are united to Satan delivered from the bonds of his grasp and sin and incorporated into the family of God? It's through the preaching of the gospel. That's the ordinary, that's the primary ordinary means by which men are saved. What? The preaching of the word of God. Faith come by what, beloved? Hearing. Hearing comes by what? The preaching. And who preaches? Those who are sent. This is what Paul is talking about here. So when we talk about this wisdom, we're talking about this revelation of God. Now, he, he clarifies what this wisdom is. If we work our way down through the passage, look at verse 7. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery. We've already dealt with what a mystery is. Again, these elements of the gospel, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are called mysteries. The gospel is called the mystery. Why? Because look at verse 7. The hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages for or to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. He talks about in verse 10, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And you look at verse 9 as a quotation out of Isaiah 64, and notice notice. The, the, what it says here, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about that which man would have never come up with on his own. He's talking about the revelation of how God is going to save rebellious sinners now, beloved, when you talk about worldly wisdom and you talk about earthly wisdom or carnal wisdom or secularism, naturalism, man never comes up with this. And all of these things, man has all of these ideas and all of these techniques on how to improve his life, how to, how to quiet his conscience, you know, Go, go, go lock yourself up in a room and hum and meditate. Go, go, go and, you know, just separate yourself from the world. Just divorce yourself from the world altogether and just go out and just be a hermit. The problem is really not you. The problem is everybody around you. The world has answers for all these things. And yet none of it None of it, not only has not even beneficial, as we'll see, but none of it compares to the, 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 the glory of the revelation that God has given to us in the gospel that opens up to us the, the, a Savior where God would send his son into the world and, and live that perfect life and lay that perfect life down on behalf of sinners. Man would have never come up with that. Man cannot ponder that from glaring at the stars. You can't look at a sunset and come up with that. You can't look at a mountain range and come up with that. You just can't look at that by contemplating a flower. It has to be revealed to you. It has to be shown to you. 
It's called the mystery of God and it has to be revealed. And Paul says that yet we speak this wisdom to you. Why? Because it's been given to me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, that which I have received, I give to you. Paul's not, Paul didn't make this up. Paul and the rest of the apostles did not cleverly meet in a room and come up with something that was unique. Jesus had conveyed it to the apostles and he said, you go, you take this word to the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. Go do. This is what Paul is saying. This mature, I think, again, possibly a play on words because if Paul was seen as crude, barbarian, well, what about those who follow him? I mean, you know, sophisticated people really don't want to sit under unsophisticated uh, word. And yet Paul is saying, but you are the mature, you are the perfect Well, who are they? Well, they are the ones that the Spirit is indwelling. They are the ones that God has, if you will, down in verse 9. These are the ones that have opened their eyes to see, who have opened their ears to hear. What? That that the Spirit of God has taken the Word of God and entered into their heart. What? All that God has done for them in Christ. These are the mature. These are the perfected. These are the perfect. Not not the carnal, not the rulers of this age, Paul says, because that's what he goes on to say. He says, we don't don't teach this worldly wisdom, not the wisdom of this age. Why? Because it it does nothing to offer you in terms of saving you or reconciling you to a perfect holy God. It can't do it. In fact, they despise it. The world despises the gospel. The world hates the gospel. The world is at war with God and will not accept the things of God. Why do you think we have so many religions that are focused on good deeds, good works? These religions say, well, what we, have, we don't have a heart problem. We are not really corrupt. We just have an ethical problem, and we can fix that by what? Well, changing our ethics. We're just going to start doing good deeds, and that will save us. That will redeem us. And though they, they, they don't understand the complexity of the issue, do they? You know, beloved, when you start talking about the depravity of man, you see people's... Um, see people get riled up. Because, see, we don't just have an ethical problem. It's not just a, a works problem. It's that we desire the things that are off limits. We desire corrupt things. We desire unholy things, we, and, and which means that we don't naturally love holy things, which is God. God is the holy of holies. And so man is at war with God. Whether man realizes it or not, he is and God is also at war with him. So Paul is, I think, playing 
on some of their arguments and he is beginning to lead us in a biblical understanding of why, why what a Christian ministry looks like, but, but yet, why, why are we mature? Why are we perfected? It's not because we have worked out the complexity of some philosophical problem. It's because God has put his spirit in us. Now, you can say, well, you know, pastor, intellect is a part of it. Yes, it is. You've never heard me say divorce your intellect from the gospel. You've never heard me say divorce your will from the gospel. But what is it that impresses upon us that understanding? What, again, the light, the eyes that see, the ears that hear, the understanding that comes into play so that we can, again, exercise a will that is under the impression, under the support and and power of the Holy Spirit that we begin to what? See our pride as something that is awful and sinful the world relishes pride. It exalts prideful people. It applauds it. It has parties over it. God destroys human pride. God destroyed our pride and brought us all to our knees that have put our faith in Christ. And what did we have to do? We had to look and see our own wretchedness the way God sees it. And what what was the result of our eyes being open to that? That we began to call upon the name of the Lord, didn't we? Repent of our sins. When we got the glimpse of who we really are before the face of God, we were destroyed and then remade spiritually. God destroyed our pride and our arrogance. He took that away from us. There was nothing we could stand on, and that's why it's called the covenant of grace because we didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. Let's continue to work down through this text because, again, Paul had declared this wisdom to these believers, and he says, I, I'm, I, of what he's already said, and he's repeating himself, he's just doing it in a little bit different way. He says, I didn't use the world's wisdom, and nor did I use the world's techniques, the age, or not even of this age, nor the rulers of this age. See, they're passing away. In verse 7, he says, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, in a gospel. A message. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the age uh, before uh, before the ages to our glory. Ephesians chapter one, which Paul wrote, talks about before the foundation of the world God had predestinated those whom he loved. Before the foundation of the world. You know, when you start looking at all of these world religions and all the way, you know, and again, the most exalted religion of our day is atheism. Now, atheism is friends with these false religions like Islam, Hinduism, uh, Zionism. Atheists are, well, they're friends with them. But it's interesting how all of them are opposed to Christianity. I mean, biblical Christianity. A Christianity that exalts God and destroys human wisdom. They don't like it. It's convicting. It's condemning. And they don't want any 
they'll want to have part in it. And in fact, when we preach the unadulterated word of God, then this is why many ministries are coming under attack and being labeled anti-Semitic. Hate speech. Not all encompassing, not loving, not willing to embrace the world around them. And this is similar to what Paul is having to deal with. Paul is saying, I can't embrace the world around me. God's at war with it. He says now in verse 8, notice, not only is the one that God has predestined it to be the way it is, in verse 8 he says, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Well, what is Paul saying here? Well, Paul is now giving us an argument. This is, this is the result of human wisdom. This is what human wisdom produces. This is the evidence of the destruction of human wisdom. What was it that the Jews used to judge and critique Jesus with? Human wisdom. What was it Pilate used to judge wisdom or to judge Jesus with? Human wisdom. Remember, Pilate even tried to go as far as saying, listen, I know it's our, Jewish, our jurisprudence here. I don't see any fault in this man. He looks, seems innocent to me. I know the Jews don't like him because he's interrupted their whole religious system. So I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, practice this, you know, um, once a year kind of thing where I let the people choose who we liberate from our prison system. And of course, what did they say? Well, we don't want Barabbas. We don't want that murderous crook. We want, we, we want him. We want Barabbas. We, we want that murderous crook. We don't want Jesus. Crucify him. Let his blood be upon our children, us and our children. How did they come to that? Human wisdom. If we just get rid of Jesus, we'll just get rid of the problem. And then yet Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 tells us that while they practice human wisdom and are guilty for putting Jesus to death, they carried out the eternal will of God. That's what we're talking about here. The power, the sovereignty of God's wisdom and will being done and is far superior than the will of men and the wisdom of men. But you see, beloved, you say, yes, but that was a good thing. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was put to death. Jesus was, was um, uh, even though falsely accused and charged, that's a good thing. Yes, we have benefited from it. But, beloved, that's the greatest crime in the history of mankind. The greatest crime in the history of mankind is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Falsely accused. He stood before his accusers. Heard all of these false testimonies. There was no, none of it was, was viable. None of it was legit. No legitimate testimony against him. And yet even in light of, of, of no evidence, put to death. Not just any man. 
Now, beloved, you say, well, yeah, well, that happens all the time. <laughs> no, it doesn't. This has only happened one time. Why? Because he's the son of God, son of man. He, he, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. Has that ever happened before? He, he came into this world with decades and centuries of what? Prophecy. To do good, to save a people from their sins and to be a great light to the nations. Anybody else coming in the world with that kind of prophetic expectation? He's the one that walked before men and healed the blind. He gave the blind sight. He raised the dead. He healed the lame. Who's done more good than Jesus? None. This is the one they crucified. This is the one they falsely charged and accused, run through a sham court, and put to death. And Paul's using this as an argument because what Paul is saying is this was the result of human wisdom. They thought they were clever. We'll just get rid of him, solve our problems. This is how human wisdom works. Beloved, you go back to the very beginning. And human wisdom is the cause of every epic failure of mankind. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. God had told them what to do. This is what you're going to do. You're going to cultivate the garden. You're going to exercise dominion. You're going to have children. You're going to walk in the cool of the day with me. You're going to worship me. You're going to learn. You're you're going to perform all of this under my supervision and blessing, and you're going to fill the whole earth with the glory of God. But whatever you do, don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. Because when you eat of that tree... You're going to die. But what did human wisdom tell them? Now, there was some coaching. I mean, the serpent did enter the garden, and the serpent did, as Paul said, beguile Eve, tricked her. But yet, what was the whole mechanism of the, the trick, of the... Uh, of the bait and switch, if you will. He got her to thinking outside of what God had revealed. Now, you know God has said these things, but now, beloved, she began to practice what we know as human wisdom. And she ate. And then human wisdom told her, hey, let me give to my husband Let him eat too. And he did eat, listening to human wisdom. You want to go to the flood of the, you want to go to Genesis 6? You want to think about human wisdom there? You want to think about human wisdom of Cain? I mean, every, look at the Tower of Babel. You want to think about human wisdom there? Beloved, in your life, I want you to just, let's let's pause for a second. 
Where have the greatest pitfalls in your life come from? Have they come from obeying the Word of God? Or have they come by you exercising your own wisdom? This is what Paul is talking about here. You work your way on down, and he, then he talks about, and he quotes from Isaiah. Now, it's interesting in verse 9, because Isaiah 64 is talking about the salvation of the nations. Well, the salvation of the nations, what do you think? The, salva- the nations lie in darkness, and all of these false religions, all this paganism, and I mean, atheism really wasn't a thing back then as it is today, because atheism is sophisticated. Atheism is the new sophism. Oh, it's all scientific. It's all complex. It's all complicated. And you, you know, you, you barbaric Christians, you very crude Christianity can't speak to these things. I mean, you think the world was created in six days. You think God spoke through a mule. You believe that there, a, a, a great fish swallowed a man. You believe that God fed Israel with quail and manna falling out of the sky. You're so barbaric and crude in your thinking and understanding. You couldn't possibly conceive of these deep and complex, sophisticated science problems that we deal with every day. That's the way they think. That's why the atheists typically, whether it be, you know, uh, the very popular ones you can find on YouTube or not, that's why they talk down to Christians because they think all Christians are stupid. And this chapter is telling us how to understand this interaction. Not that we should be afraid and not that we should all draw back because we should not, but that we ought to understand the reality of the problem. The problem is they don't have the Spirit of God. And you do. That's the problem. The Spirit has opened our eyes, verse 9. The things of God, the wisdom of God, the gospel of God, He has opened up our eyes so that we might see it in our ears, that we hear it preached, that we benefit from the preaching of the gospel. And that the things that come into our heart, he says, all that God has prepared for those who what? Love him. See, that's another description of the mature in verse 6. Who are the mature? Who are the perfect? Well, they are the ones that love God. They have the spirit of God indwelling them and part of the fruit in the, the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives produces an affection and an affinity and a love for God. Yeah, beloved, now this is vitally important as we look at the church body because there are many, I think, professing Christians that really hold to a worldly form of ethics and saying, all I need to do is do these good things. I just need to come to church, sit there, you know, um, you know, take a few lessons away and just basically live my life divorced of the scriptures themselves. They don't do anything with the word of God. They don't love the word of God. They don't memorize the word of God. In fact, they synchronize their, self, their lives with all of these other things. And, and that's not what Paul is doing here. 
Well, those who love God, they drink deeply from this mystery, this gospel. They drink deeply from the cross of Christ. And they long for the things of God. They want to know the deep mysteries of God. Beloved, if you are a Christian and the spirit of God dwells in you, then you have a hunger Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, but nevertheless, there's a hunger for the things of God. That's really and truly the litmus test. Now, everybody will say, I love God. I love God. But yet we have to walk our way through this passage of Scripture, right? He says, listen, he says, Now, and this is where he gets into verse 11. He says, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? That's a question. Meaning, you really do know yourself. And you even know when you lie to yourself. Because see, Paul's going to use the argument. He says, well, you know yourself. I mean, you should know yourself better than anybody else in this room. Why? Because your spirit is in you. You know what you think about when no one's around. You know what you dwell on. You know what you contemplate. You know what you truly desire and long for and want, even though you may have never expressed it. You know it. And Paul uses that, and he says, and it's so likewise, who knows God more better than the Spirit of God who comes to you to reveal these things to you? Why? Because outside of the Spirit, we can't know the things of God, that the things of God, the gospel in Jesus Christ are spiritually revealed and discerned. They're spiritually opened up. That's why we call the Word of God is the Word of the Spirit. Who wrote the Word of God? The Spirit moved upon men to write this Word. And when you read the word of God, the spirit of God works in your heart and in your mind to understand it and to contemplate and to hunger for it. There are really three things about God's wisdom that we can mark from the text. Number one, it's spiritual. We've been talking about that. Secondly, it's divine. It's a divine wisdom. It comes from God. But it's spiritual. It works in us. It's it's the Spirit of God working in us spiritually, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we see things, the things we long for, the things we desire. It's spiritually working in our lives, and it's performing and producing in us a, a spiritual walk before God. So it's spiritual, it's divine, and then thirdly, it's eternal. It's everlasting. Where Paul talks about the spirit of this world and the rulers of this world are passing away, the spirit of God is not going to pass away. This wisdom of God, it's not going to, it's eternal. The word of God is eternal. Remember what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what remains forever? The word of God. The word of God. But think about human wisdom, right? Think about earthly wisdom. Think about how human wisdom is natural, just the things they can touch and feel. 
That's why we have so many philosophies based on materialism. It's not spiritual, it's natural, it's not divine, it's man-centered, it's carnal, carnal. The philosophy of the world is based on the carnality of man, the, the fallen delights and pleasures of man. That's why we see what we see going on all around us. That's why we can celebrate debauchery. That's why the world has no problem celebrating death and abortion and debauchery and, and the moral failures of the family and all of these various things because it's a, it's a wisdom based on the carnality of man. And it's not eternal in the same sense. It is temporal, meaning it'll pass away. It'll pass away. And it'll just regurgitate these various philosophies. But we can teach this philosophy to our children. We can teach this gospel, this mystery, this wisdom to our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. When you hold your grandchildren in your lap and you catechize them and you teach them the things of God or you read the word of God to them, guess what? It's never passing away. It's just as rich and beautiful and powerful as the first day it was uttered and revealed. And when you read it, when you recite it, when you reveal it to these children and children's children, beloved, it's just as fresh and new as it's ever been because it's God's wisdom. So, beloved, this is what we need to have in order for us to, number one, repudiate the wisdom of this world. We need to know these things. We, we need to repudiate the wisdom of this world, this carnal wisdom. We need to divorce ourselves from it. We need to fight against it. We need to come to that spiritual wisdom. We need to come to these spiritual mysteries, and we need to drink deeply from the gospel, and that is both narrow and broadly. Narrow in that it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Broadly, it's all these other doctrines of grace that God reveals to us all, as the text says, for our benefit. As What does he say here? That have not, that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so, beloved, you have to ask yourself, oh, I'm, I love God. Examine your love for God with what Paul is saying here. And, and examine whether or not. Let, let, listen, listen to the things you long for and repent of those things that are opposed to God and his wisdom and the gospel. He says, for, he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, verse 12, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I want to end with this, and I'm probably going to preach 
solely on that verse, but meaning this, beloved, why, does, why is Paul so adamant about not using the techniques of the world? Because the Spirit of God has revealed spiritual words. Why are we so adamant about using, and I, I, I'm holding up an English Bible, but guess what? It wasn't written originally in English. But why are we, why do we scrutinize and why are we very critical when we come to the examination of the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic and so that we can translate them accurately and faithfully? Because sometimes it's not solely accurate one-to-one. Sometimes we have to faithfully deal with it, the concepts. Why do we do that? Why do we agonize over it? Because they're spiritual words. There's a doctrine called the perspicuity of Scripture, and that is that the Holy Spirit has ordained the very word in its very place that we ought to know and understand. We don't take liberty with what God has revealed and just do with, do with it whatever we want. That's why we have to be careful of some of these translations that broadly interpret the Greek and Hebrew and water it down to the point where it loses its meaning and value. Not all translations are equal. Not all translations are worthy of your time and investment. And Paul talks about the Spirit revealing to us the gospel, but also the Spirit revealing to us the very words of the gospel. You know, if you were to survey many Christians today, they wouldn't even know what the word atonement means. They wouldn't understand the word sanctification. Even though they really don't understand the concept of election or God's elect, they would, you know, rail against it. How dare God choose anything? Interestingly enough, we choose people we love. Interestingly enough, you men who are married chose your wife, she chose you, that seems to be fine. We don't have a problem with that election, but we seem to have a problem when God elects. We seem to have a problem when God places his love on his bride and cherishes her and saves her and washes her and grows her up and perfects her and prepares her for the great supper of the Lamb. We don't seem to have, you know, we don't, we don't have a problem with our own election, but we seem to have a problem with God's election. Beloved, these things are spiritually revealed. They're spiritually believed. We believe them because the Spirit is working in us and has opened our eyes and our ears to understand and perceive these great mysterious truths that God, that God has had before the foundation of the world. And all along the way, we see God revealing them to certain people. And here's the thing. To everyone he revealed them to, it changed their life. It changed their life. Let's just think about Abraham quickly. The Bible tells us, Paul tells us, in Romans and in Hebrews, what? The gospel was preached to Abraham. This mystery 
that God had before the foundation of the world was opened up and revealed to Abraham. What did it cause Abraham to do? Who was a prince? Who was a ruler? And who lived in Mesopotamia? Who had great wealth and influence? What did it cause him to do? But leave his homeland. And to take his wife, who like him was on up in age, and to become homeless in one sense. Let's leave our homeland, let's leave our family, and let's go, and God says he's going to give us every, every spot of ground that we put our feet. He made change. Look what he did. It was the gospel, beloved, in his heart. It was the Spirit of God moving in his heart that when God told this old man, you're going to bear a son. He believed him. And Paul tells us, why did he believe him? Why did, why did Abraham, did, did Abraham conjure up, throw some bones out on the table like some witch or something and say, no, this is probably going to happen. It's, it's prophecy. No, we don't do, that's worldly wisdom. That's demonic wisdom. Abraham believed that God was the God of life. And if God had said he was going to enliven this old body, guess what? God can do it. And Abraham believed him. And Paul says that that's why Abraham is called the father of the faith, the faithful, because he was a man of great faith. And God did what he promised Abraham he would do. Beloved, why are we, listen, human wisdom says the dead don't rise. Why are we ashamed to talk about the, the raising of the dead? Who's the God of life? How did man come into this world? Did he, what did he tell Adam? Adam, you're a, you're a man of the dust. A man of the dirt. Why do we have a problem with Eve coming from the side of Adam? Why do we have a problem with that? Can God not do those things? See, human wisdom says, no, 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 no. Myth, myth, myth. All the while, we've got all of these other world religions. We've got turtles stacked on turtles. We've got all of this other stuff. I mean, you've got Atlas standing there with the ball on his shoulder. All the, and yet, we're supposed to be embarrassed because we believe in supernaturalism? A sovereign, all-powerful God, we're supposed to be embarrassed? That's why it's so, it's so silly when you're confronted with this idea of the problem of evil. Brothers and sisters, when somebody confronts you with evil, say, well, if God is who he is and he's the God of love, tell me why there's so much evil in the world. And say, why are you coming at me like this? Why don't you go talk to the Muslim? Why don't you go talk to the Hindu about evil? Because only Christianity deals with the problem. Think about it. Why are they attacking Christianity? Why? Because the world hates the wisdom of God. The world hates it. And the world hates God. And beloved, we've been called out of the world. We've been given the spirit of God to see the gospel and the things that God has revealed. Now, what's our charge? 
take it and live it out. That's your charge. Take it and put it into practice. Just as, just as all of these other influences shape families, let this influence shape your family. Let your family be shaped by the revelation of God. Let your character be shaped by the revelation of God. As Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You don't need YouTube. Now, if you want to go to YouTube on how to fix your microwave, I've done that. And I'm always embarrassed when I do it because there's always like some 10-year-old teaching me how to use the computer. But I listen anyway. But I don't go to YouTube to learn how to love my wife. I don't go to YouTube to learn the deep things of God. I don't go to YouTube in order how to, to, to live as becoming of a Christian. I don't seek that knowledge from these worldly influencers. I come to the scriptures because this is where God has revealed himself. And then I go to other wise people who drink from the scriptures, who can open up the scriptures and help me with these things. Why? Because I want to drink from God's wisdom and not the wisdom of this world. Well, beloved, keep that in mind as we continue to look at what this Christian ministry that Paul is revealing to us really is. Let's pray. Now, Father, bless your holy name. And Father, give us a deep appreciation and, and thankfulness for what you have given to us, for what we have received, for what you have revealed to us. Father, we recognize when we look at this passage of Scripture and many others that it's not something that we worked out ourselves. It's not something that we went and purchased. It's not something, oh Lord, that, that we discovered on our own. It's been revealed to us. It's been divinely gifted to us. And so, Lord, let us appreciate it. Let us love it, Lord, like we love you, and let us guard this beautiful treasure of the gospel, Lord, and protect it, Lord, from many enemies. I pray that you would even protect it in this church, Lord, that we would always be a people, Lord, of divine wisdom and not worldly wisdom. Lord, make the word of God more and more precious to us and increase and deepen our love for you and continue, O oh God, in your mercies to show us all the good things you have given to us in Christ. Lord, we long for that. Lord, we know how rich the Christian life really is. We are not paupers. We are not barbaric. Lord, we are not crude. We are we are enriched in Christ and all treasures have been given and hidden in Christ, our hours in Jesus. So fathers, just, just give us a spirit and an attitude, Lord, to come to your word and to drink deeply from it, to study it, to understand it, to walk according to it, O oh Lord, that we would be what Paul says in verse six, we would be mature. We would be perfect Christians in that sense. 
and we will give you the praise and glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.